February the 22nd marks the fifth anniversary of the Canterbury earthquake that claimed 185 lives and caused widespread damage throughout the region. As this RNZ Insight program has been finding out, a new city is gradually emerging, but the progress is too slow for some, while others cannot move on with their lives as they continue to battle over their quake-damaged homes. A huge 6.3 magnitude earthquake has caused serious damage in the Christchurch city centre. Geonet says the quake happened 10 kilometres southeast of Christchurch. At 12.52pm, a hidden fault violently rocked Christchurch, damaging buildings and infrastructure already weakened by the magnitude 7.1 Canterbury earthquake of September 4, 2010. The day after the February earthquake, the Prime Minister John Key set in motion a plan for recovery. It will be a difficult journey, but progress is certain, things will get better, Christchurch will rise again. On behalf of the government... The Canterbury Employers Chamber of Commerce Chief Executive Peter Townsend says five years on, 2016 will be the year Christchurch exceeds 50% of the construction of the city, describing it as a pivotal stage of the rebuild. Peter Townsend says $100 million a week will continue to be spent in the city for some years to come. But he says the government date of 2026 is the end of the rebuild is optimistic. People are frustrated that it's taking a long time, but people are also starting to understand the complexities of the rebuild, how, how um, big it is. I mean, I don't know anywhere in the world where 40 to $45 billion is being tipped into a population of 360,000 people to rebuild a city. I've, I've never, haven't found anywhere in the world that's happened in the past. Labour's earthquake spokesperson Megan Woods says there are shoots of really great things happening in the city, but people expect to see more progress at this stage. 2016 has to be the year when the government finally puts some effort into drawing a line under the insurance and EQC issues. I'm Belinda McCammon, and this insight looks at the rebuild of a city. What is working, what isn't, and what are the challenges for Christchurch and its people five years on? During the past five years, many people in Christchurch have made huge efforts to rebuild not only their homes, but their lives. Brian Coker was lucky to survive the February earthquake after he was pinned by debris in the Pine Gould building. He had to have both his legs amputated where he lay trapped. During his recovery, Brian and his wife Helen, both keen gardeners, moved to a larger section where he spent 18 months working with his wife to create his dream garden. I think it's, it's important I mean, for me that you know, I find getting out in the garden, growing things, um, I grow quite a lot of things from seed, um, and, and the fact of working together, I mean, it's something that's completely un, unrelated to um, you know, anything else that's going on, it's a really positive thing that we can both concentrate on together and, and get a lot of pleasure out of you know, growing things, seeing things flower. But the bones of the city in many places are still bare. On the count of three. One, two, three. The opening of the $3 million Margaret Mahi family playground in Christchurch's central city in December was hailed as a milestone event in the progress of the city's $17 billion rebuild. It's one of the few completed anchor projects in the city and was one of the more than 100,000 suggestions that came out of the original Share an Idea campaign run by the Christchurch City Council soon after the earthquakes. 
The ideas were a start point for the council's central city plan, but was superseded by the government's recovery blueprint, which was intended to be a framework for businesses and green spaces around the city. The blueprint, which laid out where the anchor projects like the Justice Precinct, Convention Centre and Sports Facility would be, was intended to give developers, investors and residents certainty in a city still reeling with aftershocks. Recently, the central heart of this city has faced incredible challenges. In the wake of the 2010 and 20... Newitt is the director of the Christchurch Central Development Unit, an agency created in the aftermath of the earthquakes and which is due to wind down in April. He says it was the development unit's job to be the lightning rod to make the blueprint come alive. And he believes on balance, they've done a good job. The reality is that there's been a bit of sitting and waiting going on. And I think it, it is fair for the uh, private sector to say until they can see the, for example, com the convention centre plans and how that's going to look, they just want to sit on their land and, and I understand entirely their need to be cautious because that, you know, in some cases they're putting their hands in their pockets for upwards of $100 million. Baden Newitt says while the Crown put the blueprint together, the real grunt work has been carried out by the private sector. The government is investing $1.5 billion for anchor projects, but he says the private sector is putting in $6 to every one contributed by the government. Pre-earthquake, membership at the Central City Business Association stood about 500 and dropped to zero post-quake. In the past 18 months, membership has grown to about 150. And its manager, Lisa Goodman, says there's a real need for a collective business voice in the city because while progress is being made, there's still a long road to go. Infrastructure repairs in the area are still being carried out by the stronger Christchurch Infrastructure Rebuild Team. But the agency has completed 85% of its work programme, including 97% of its repairs in the central city. It's been a huge undertaking, and so far the work has included more than 600 kilometres of pipes that have been replaced or repaired. The work programme is on track to finish in December. But as Lisa Goodman points out, the infrastructure rebuild has taken its toll. The impact of demolition and rebuild on an emerging or transitional city has been underestimated, probably in terms of rebuild uh, agencies, but also new business owners looking to, to set up a new business and weren't quite aware perhaps of the amount of infrastructure repairs around the roads, for instance, that needed to be carried out. Lisa Goodman says accessibility has been one of the key problems for people in the central city. And now, as the city begins to take shape, car parking is an issue. She says there needs to be certainty over the Christchurch Cathedral and the Convention Centre to create development in the square, but the bulk of the pain has been endured. In the next 12 to 18 months we'll have around 20,000 people coming in to work in the central city and that'll make a tremendous dis uh, difference not just in terms of during the week but also on the weekend when those workers are at home and wondering what to do with their friends and family. They know what offerings there are in town in terms of retail and hospitality I and recreation. I was really pleased to ring the Prime Minister last night and say to him I'm issuing a press statement tomorrow and the headline is Council reaches post-earthquake insurance settlement.
It's been a year of significant decisions for Christchurch's Mayor Leanne Dalzell, as the Christchurch City Council has dealt with a $1.2 billion budget shortfall as the city pays for its post-earthquake rebuild. Last year, the council voted to go ahead with selling $750 million worth of council-owned assets and voted to raise rates over the next four years by more than 27%. In December, the council finally settled its quake insurance claim for $635 million. The settlement, due to be paid in full next month, will give the council flexibility on its own repair programme. I met with the mayor at the newly reopened art gallery, one of Leanne Dalzell's favourite new places in the city, where she told me the previous council had signed up to a cost-sharing agreement with the government without knowing what the insurance settlement would be, putting this council in a difficult financial position. She describes the council as being back in the driver's seat, but there are still challenges ahead, including a refresh of the blueprint and producing an annual plan that is deliverable. We put all of these things on budget that we want to do and then we can't achieve them, either because we haven't got the capacity or there isn't enough industry capacity or for various reasons land hasn't been transferred to get things started. You know, So we're saying this year, no, let's not do that. Let's actually put a realistic plan of delivery on budget and let's deliver it. Thank you, Mr Chairman and members of the Select Committee. We need to look at the purpose of the legislation. Perhaps the biggest step change for the city this year is the winding up of the Canterbury Earthquake Recovery Authority, the agency created with extraordinary powers and charged with running the rebuild. It's a government department which has evoked love em or hate em emotions. It will cease to exist in April, replaced in part by a new body called Regenerate Christchurch, headed by civil engineer Andre Lovett. He admits there are high public expectations around Regenerate Christchurch. Planning and consultation and engagement being primary amongst those. Um, the, the two other sort of um, organisations that are within the same stable um, as, as Regenerate Christchurch, the Crown Company and the Development Christchurch, and they are, they are owned by the Crown and the Christchurch City Council respectively. Their focus is around delivery of projects and so they have a very different focus from what Regenerate Christchurch is. And I think the separation of those organisations is, in my mind, a direct reflection of the learnings that have been taken from the last four years of Sarah. The agency will be responsible for the central city, the residential red zone, where decisions are yet to be made about the future use of the land and the widely damaged suburb of New Brighton. Andre Lovett says Regenerate Christchurch won't be responsible for delivering projects but collating the best ideas. As a layperson, I think it is actually quite challenging to look out your window and think that actually nothing's actually going on in terms of physical projects, but what you don't see is all the duck feet under the water paddling like mad. Regenerate Christchurch will be run by a board appointed by both the Crown and the Christchurch City Council, and after five years, it will become a fully council-controlled organisation. I've got an appointment to see Megan Woods at 2 o'clock, Belinda. Megan Woods says the government can't claim that the home repair programme has been successful when there are still thousands of people yet to have their claims settled or are having to go through their repair programme a second time. She describes the sites of anchor projects in the central city as wastelands and would like to see the government catch up to private sector involvement in the city.
I think there's a, a real case there that the government hasn't handled this well because we can look to what has been achieved in other places in the CBD where it's not the government in control, where it's private enterprise that has got on and just done it. And we're seeing some exciting projects there. I think the government um, wanted to come up with something quickly with its, um, with its um, anchor projects and its blueprint for the central city. And we've seen delay after delay after delay. Latest figures from the Insurance Council show that over $16 billion have been paid out in claims since December 2015. The Minister of the Canterbury Earthquake Recovery, Jerry Brownlee, says initial advice about the recovery of the city was bleak, and he's pleased with how the city has recovered given the scale of the event. He describes a Treasury report released in November which said the government's central city recovery plan was unachievable as ill-considered and backward-looking. He also dismisses suggestions that 2016 is the midway point of the rebuild. I've always been a huge sceptic about um, timelines, as uh, you, you'll have probably noticed over uh, the years. And I think also when you start talking about, you know, are we this far through, is this the percentage of what we've got to do, etc., it also becomes slightly academic and uh, it depends on what your estimate was of uh, the damage in the first place. While parts of the central city are now actively being redeveloped, little is happening in Cathedral Square, as developers wait to find out what will happen to the quake-damaged Christchurch Cathedral and the 22,000 square metres of land for the convention centre. The $284 million convention centre initially had a completion date of 2017, but Jerry Brownlee has said it is unlikely to be ready by 2018. He says negotiations are continuing. I find it a little amazing that people have gone out there and said, should have all been left to the private sector that have it done by now. Well, there was no impediment to the private sector getting in there and doing some of that stuff. And interestingly, it's the private sector that we're currently negotiating with um, to get something underway. It's a tough negotiation. Uh, and frankly, I don't make any apologies for being very cautious and very deliberative about the expenditure of such a large amount of taxpayer and ratepayer funding. As Minister of the Earthquake Commission, Jerry Brownlee has frequently found himself defending the work of its staff as they continue to handle homeowners' claims. Almost 70,000 houses needed repair after the quakes. About 5,500 homes are being re-inspected by EQC for second-time repairs because of poor workmanship, failed or incorrect repair strategies and new damage, with about 2,300 underfloor repairs to re-inspect and fix. The head of the Earthquake Commission, Ian Simpson, says he apologises for those mistakes and they will put them right. He says he's proud of the Commission's overall performance, but lessons have been learned. Rather than you know, storming in uh, as quickly as possible as soon as the event happens, we'd spend six to eight weeks just holding back, uh, doing planning to understand where the worst damage is and where we need to be first, and also making our links with the local community leaders, local council, so they can help us plan better and, and organise a better response. And we found in Cook Strait and elsewhere, for example, you know, post that earthquake, that was a far better response. Ian Simpson says from a housing point of view, Christchurch has recovered far more quickly than any comparable event worldwide, and the Commission has paid out more than $8.9 billion in claims and repairs in Canterbury.
The home repair program has cost over $3 billion. The Commission is now dealing with the last 12 or 1,300 homes, with 700 already under repair and 500 people the Commission is trying to settle agreements with so they can start work. Ian Simpson says this year the Commission needs to push hard to make sure anyone waiting for the EQC to do something gets it done. That will still leave some people who either can't reach an agreement with us, hopefully very few, or for their own reasons want to defer the repair, and there are still some of those around that we'll have to work with in a different way going forward. So for the building piece, it's pushing hard to finish our part. And then for the land claims, we've just got those final really complex land claims of increased flood vulnerability and increased liquefaction vulnerability that we just need to keep settling and get finished. First up is Jesse Certificate in Foundation Studies Level 3 Civil Skills. Since 2012, Naitahu has put 1,200 young Māori through trade training initiatives as it seizes rebuild opportunities for the iwi. When the CERA Act was passed in 2011, Naitahu found itself included in the legislation on equal footing with other bodies like the Christchurch City Council. Naitahu's chief executive, Arahia Bennett, says the statutory recognition signalled the start of its governance role which has been cemented since. But there have been challenges too. Sometimes it's about breaking down stereotypes around what Ngaitahu's intentions are, how if their footprint is actually going to change the traditional face of what we've seen Christchurch become over the decades. And so it's sort of breaking down some fears and anxieties. And when we get together in whatever particular uh, area of work or development there is to explore, people quickly see that actually members of Ngaitahu want the same sorts of outcomes as Christchurch citizens. Alahia Bennett says Naitahu's leadership in the rebuild has had a positive domino effect and they intend to build on further opportunities. The All Right campaign was established in 2012 to respond to the mental health needs in the region. Its manager, Sue Turner, says they're only just starting to see some of the feelings come to the surface. We have less people worrying about a big earthquake. That's gone down from 54%, you know, half the population in 2012 to 42%. And 38% of us in 2012 felt that our life was worse than before the quake. Well, that's gone down to 28%. So that's an improvement. However, 61% of us are still grieving for the old Christchurch. In 2012, 66% of us said that we were grieving for the lost Christchurch. And so it's only dropped by a small amount. Earthquake-related stress is also being blamed for a dramatic increase in the number of attempted and successful suicides in Canterbury. According to the police, last year there were 2,877 suicide-related calls to the police, an increase of 55% compared with 2011. Sue Turner says people whose insurance claims are still to be settled are angry and frustrated. 34% of those with an unsettled claim say their current living situation is getting them down. Now that's nearly three times as many as those with settled claims. I mean that's, that's a huge difference and nearly double the number of people with unsettled insurance claims say their life is much worse than before the earthquake. You know it's a, it's a major area of concern. Simon Burrows and his partner Elise moved out of their quake-damaged home in September 2013 for what was supposed to be a 20-week rebuild. They have yet to return. So sat without any 
temporary ply on it. Showing me around the Huntsbury Avenue property, Simon Burroughs says there were initially problems with the builder and the quality of work. Then he discovered the foundation damage had never been assessed correctly. He says their life is on hold while they deal with their insurer. At times I've, I've been in tears. Um, I've been pretty close to a breakdown probably 18 months ago. Um, and it's just frustration, absolute frustration. Where are you getting support from? How are you getting through it? Oh, look, I've got pretty good family and friends and I'm lucky, really, really lucky. Um, and handing it over to joining this class is actually taking a massive weight off my shoulders. They, they deal with it. I don't need to deal with some of the response. A lawyer, Grant Cameron, is seeking orders from the High Court to allow the proposed representative action in which the claims of 46 Southern Response customers would be determined together. The parties are waiting to hear whether the claims will be heard on a group basis. Simon Burroughs says they joined the class action to ensure they get what they are entitled to under their policy. We're effectively in a holding pattern, a loss on hold. Um, like there's just a whole lot of choices which have been taken away from us. So, My partner would love to carry on and do a, do a PhD and we couldn't have a family. Um, there's business opportunities. Like we, We're just on hold at the moment paying rent and a mortgage. But you want, to move, you want this house repaired and Ab you want to move back into it? Absolutely. Yeah, we love the spot. Yeah, we, we want to be back. Turn left onto Lovelock Street, then your destination will be on the right. So we're driving, we're in Dallington, and I'm going to meet a couple, Alan and Christine Thompson, who have uh, unresolved insurance claims. Your destination is on the right. And we're just going to see what their, what their typical experience has been. Chris and her husband joined the class action against Southern Response in February last year. The pair have lived in their house for 18 years. And they say what is left of their neighbourhood has changed completely, with homes across the street red-zoned and turned into paddocks. Christine says it's like a lost community. When we work so hard, so, so hard, to be mortgage-free before the earthquakes, well before the earthquakes, so that we could have, and that's all we're asking. We feel now that staying in this area is just, we just don't feel them safe is probably the word. Along with her husband's serious health problems over the last several years, their house, which has come off its slab, has flooded several times. Christine says they both feel they did the right thing, abided by the rules and were patient, but it hasn't worked. They both wish they had been red-zoned so they could move on. There's been no proper scope done on this property. It was what Arrow did originally to find out whether we were repair or rebuilt. So the figures were way out, way, way out. So we need a figure that we can build, whether we build here independently from them or build somewhere, at least what we've got now. We're not asking for any more, but certainly what they offered us would be fair. lucky to get the foundation down. In a statement, Southern Response says it would be inappropriate for it to comment on the specifics of the Burroughs and Thompson's claims, given that they are members of a group seeking to bring a proposed representative action against Southern Response in the High Court. Southern Response says it remains absolutely committed to resolving all of its customers' claims properly, fairly and efficiently. We came here with our eyes open. We knew that the city at the time, two years ago, there was 
still buildings that needed to be pulled down. Anastasia Boulay and Jamie Scott live in an apartment across from the new Margaret Mahi playground. They moved back from Australia two years ago and are embracing life in an ever-changing city. I think one of the traps that people fall into is that they think the city will be rebuilt in X in number of years, you know, in 10 years it's going to be all fixed. And I'm just going to wait for 10 years to enjoy it. Whereas it, it's kind of a very, um, I think, dif different approach. And we decided we are going to enjoy the city as it is now. And there is no need to wait. We're just going to enjoy it um, the way that it is. Jamie Scott says they're not waiting for the end result and are prepared to take the good with the bad. He says with the quake-damaged AMI stadium out of action, sport has taken a back seat in the city. Arts and culture have really come to the fore and I think it's changed the culture of the city. So we're now seeing people who, um, you know, they're going out to some of these various uh, arts-type festivals that are around, the Isaac Theatre uh, is back up. So we will see people getting dressed up to the nines, walking down to Regent Street, there's these lovely wine bars in there where you just go and sit down and relax and have a glass of wine. You're not there to, to get boozed up. You're just enjoying that, and that's that's something new for the for the city. So to kind of be in amongst that, whether we're actually participating in it or just happen to be walking past Regent Street or Isaac Theatre and seeing people do that, that's amazing for me to see because it, it does show that Christchurch is kind of maturing a little bit. Yeah, well, it's very clear, isn't it? It's full of cranes, and you can see cranes all over the place. We've got... We've got the uh, bus interchange, which is now finished. And the Canterbury really Employers Chamber of Commerce Chief Executive, Peter Townsend, says he thinks Christchurch will go down in history as hopelessly optimistic in the early days of the earthquake in terms of time frames. There's still a lot to be done. There's still a lot to be spent. There's still a lot of investment to go into the, the housing sector, into the commercial sector, and, and into the key projects that the government is, is underpinning. Uh, we're going to see that play out over the next three to four years. My understanding is the government's official end date for the um, rebuild of Christchurch is 2026, and I think that's probably optimistic. Taz Mukorombindo works with many migrant workers who have come to Christchurch for the rebuild and found themselves exploited. Between July 2011 and December 2015, Immigration New Zealand approved over 7,000 temporary work visas specifically linked to the Canterbury rebuild, the most being from the Philippines, Great Britain and Ireland. You know, everything happened very quick and immediately businesses were responsive and started to, to bring workers in. And I'll bet immigration helped because they put the visa system in place to facilitate that. But I don't think there was any monitoring in place as to you know when the workers come, what contracts are they in, are they on the right wage, are they li living well here, are they coming here in a good safe way. A lot of them were being exploited, agents got set up, were not registered, it was a little bit chaotic. Immigration New Zealand says there's been one successful prosecution against a company who employed migrant staff unlawfully during the rebuild, and there is one ongoing investigation. Taz Mukorombindo says things have improved, thanks to many of the workers themselves. It took a while, I think it's only now a couple of years since the laws have come in, but now you have to be licensed to recruit anyone, and... Um, you know, the visas have to be appropriate, the wages have to be right. The Labour Inspectorate was expanded. They have a special immigration unit now. 
and the fines were tightened for any illegal exploitations of migrants. So that's very good. As the skyline of Christchurch continues to change, so too does the face of those who live here and make the city their home. I'm Belinda McCammon, and that's all from this insight. If you have any thoughts or feedback on this program, it would be good to hear from you.